Hey, everybody, it's Dave here, Darren over there. What will the Vikings do at quarterback? Welcome back to another episode of Two Old Bloggers with your host, Darren and me, Dave. We're here to delve into the deep, the deep, deep thoughts and deep questions that concern your Minnesota Vikings. In this episode, we tackle the burning question on everybody's mind. What will the Vikings do at quarterback? We scrutinize the performance of Joshua Dobbs and his terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Along with Jaron Hall and Nick Mullins and discuss the possibility of change at the helm. We also shine a light on the leadership of head coach Kevin O'Connell. We'll explore his triumphs, his tribulations, and the areas we believe he can improve. Yes, there is room for improvement, folks, particularly in his late-game strategies and play calling. Lastly, as we enter the Vikings at the bye week, we've got a round of quick hitters where we're going to discuss a range of topics, including Jordan Addison's performance, the team's playoff chances, and the key injuries impacting the squad. So sit back, relax, grab your favorite beverage, and let's dive in to another exciting round of two old bloggers. Vikings First and Skull presents This Week in Vikings Land with Darren and Dave, your two old bloggers. Hey, everybody. I was just asking, am I too soft? Am I not loud enough? I can crank it up just a bit, but there's not much more I can do. Maybe move the microphone a little bit closer. We can get real yeah. intimate here. Hey, hey. <laughs> I want to welcome everybody to the show. Davey Chains, Justin, the man, the myth, the legend. Thank you, Justin. I hope you are listening to wonderful music tunes that you're going to send me later. And uh, we have Pat Cat. Welcome, Pat Cat. My worthless opinion, greatest handle on the internet. Dr. Proto is in the house. We always love to see the doc. Our community is wonderful, folks. Absolutely wonderful. Anthony Tolinson, glad to have you here. And uh, he says, but at least FSU won't let us down or let him down. Remains to be seen. (laughs) We'll find out. And everybody's saying hi to each other, which is fantastic. And there's my buddy, my pal, fellow offensive lineman, big round belly, Yogi is in the house. Raymond. And who else am I missing? Anybody else? Let's see as I scroll down on the remarks. Sorry, folks. Running a little bit behind today, but that happens. Darren, how are things in the great white north? Hey there, Mafia. They're okay, Dave. I'm doing a little bit of Christmas shopping today at various markets going on around the city. Uh, Jonathan from Brazil is in the house as well. Um, welcome, everybody. Thanks for for tuning in and yeah, everything's going fine. It's, uh, I, I, I don't know about you, Dave, but like bye weeks 
I get everybody's opinion on this. Bye weeks, when the Vikings lose heading into the bye week, I'm just like, I'm like a dog who wants to gnaw on an injured leg or something. Like I just, <laughs> just like, I, I can agree we with get, you. Can we play next so we can get rid of that bad taste in my mouth. Uh, and yeah, and we got to wait like 13 days for them to play. It's a, it just kills me. And there was definitely a bad taste after that. Hi, Bob. Welcome to the show. All right, we're going to start off as my head's out right now. <laughs> as normal with Team One. Yeah. I was just thinking I should change that up someday and start with theme three just to mess everybody's heads. With their heads. <laughs> yeah. Theme one. What will they do next? At quarterback. Uh yeah, we're gonna delve into the the question that everybody Every Vikings fan, every Vikings beat writer has been talking about this week. A subject that cannot be avoided, Dave. Um, after Josh Dobbs, horrible, terrible, no good, good very, very bad day, night, Monday nighter against the the Vikings. Where I don't, and you know, I I do want to say that. Um, you know, Dobbs did not get a whole lot of help in that game from his teammates. There's passes bouncing off wide receivers' hands. The offensive line had its worst pass game and pass protection in quite a while. But uh, they still surprised. ranked number one in PFF. <laughs> well, I don't know. And okay. <laughs> but, uh, but it was a bad game, yes. That wasn't what I saw. And I've heard, you know, people like Jeremy Siles and Alex Boone were talking about the that Derisaw and, and O'Neill had their worst game of the year in that game. Um and, and, uh, and either either one of those guys having a bad game is a bad thing. Yes. But when both have it at the same time. Hmm. And surprising because even with the Bears having Montez sweat, I you know, they, their pass rush has not been that great even up to that point. But they they didn't have to blitz anybody. They were getting lots of pressure with four guys against the Vikings. Uh, so there was that issue. Uh, and, you know, maybe Kevin O'Connell and Wes Phillips did not do a very good job with game planning. They didn't develop a game plan that suited Josh Dobbs' strengths. And they didn't have any answers for what Chicago was doing that Chicago defense was doing during the game. So, you know, I feel that, again, Dobbs did not get much help from his coaches and his teammates in this game. Having said that, uh, he played the worst game I've seen a Vikings quarterback play in a long time. That, that rivals some of the Christian Ponder games that we saw in 2012 and 2013. And that game cannot be unseen. <laughs> Dave. <laughs> little steel um, wool to the eyeballs. Yeah, yeah. Put on your hair, shirt, whatever you want to do. Uh, but and, and so you know, the question becomes, what do the Vikings do after that game? And, you know, just listen to Kevin O'Connell after Mon- the Monday night game and Tuesday morning in his pressure presser. And he sounded like a guy that is just about ready to move on from Josh Dobbs. Um, and I can understand that. Uh, although you know, Will Raggetts, who's a, of course a beat writer with sports illustrated, I thought he made a pretty interesting uh, point that's worth thinking about on Twitter X on Tuesday, where he kind of said, I don't think the Vikings should overreact to this one bad game by Dobbs. They need to take the bye week, you know, work on coaching up Dobbs and getting him comfortable on timing and rhythm stuff and the short 
easy passes and work on ways to counteract what Chicago did to the Vikings Monday night because other teams are going to try to copy that because it was so successful. And, you know, that is something that I think you need to think about because if you look at Dobbs' four games, certainly the first two, you know, he's a big reason why the Vikings won those games against Atlanta and New Orleans. There's no doubt about it. The Denver game, they lost, but really the offense moved the ball well. Uh, they outgained the Broncos by over about 100 yards in total offense. And people are going to say, yeah, but he had the two turnovers. Well, yeah, yes, he did. There was one, one was a fumble, but the interception was re- that was on Ty Chandler. We talked about that last week. Who, you know, whiffed on the pass block, Dobbs is back, doesn't see the pass rusher coming. It hit his arm as he's about to throw. It creates a moon ball that gets intercepted. I don't put that turnover on Josh Dobbs. So really, I think in three of the four games, he's played pretty well and done enough for the Vikings to win. But again, that fourth game cannot be unseen. You can't have four turnovers. Uh, you know, again, some question about the Addison uh, interception. Was that Addison's fault or was that Dobbs' fault? I think that was more Addison. Excuse me. But still, um, again, Kevin O'Connell's comments. Uh, uh, Kevin O'Connell is a guy who is never, I've never heard him in the two years that he's been our head coach. You know, he's usually avoids, you know, talking about uh, getting into if a player is a bad game, whether he's going to lose his starting job. He does not, you know, hang players out to dry. And so for him to say after Monday night and say, I'm not committing to jobs as a starter going forward, and then admitting that, you know, I considered switching to Mullins in the in the second half because things weren't going bad. And then for him to say uh, later, we're going to start the guy that maximizes Justin Jefferson. Well, again, that those comments were very telling to me from a guy like, again, Kevin O'Connell, who usually doesn't get into like who's going to start, who's not going to start those kind of conversations. Um, so the question becomes, it, you know, he looks like a guy that's about to move on from Josh Dobbs. And the question becomes, well, okay, who is that going to be? Um, I'm seeing, you know, I've seen some people online talk about how the Vikings need to go to Jaron Hall. You know, uh, you know, he looks solid in his time. And, uh, you know, the Vikings got to see what they have in Hall going into the draft. Um, I can understand that. I can understand those, that line of thinking. I'm not seeing that happening in this case because if the Vikings were three and nine or they were four and eight, out of the playoff picture, then it, I think it makes sense to try Jaron Hall and see what you've got. But if you're a six and six, you've got a wild card spot right now. You're currently six seed in the NFC. Are you really going to turn the keys to your season over to a fifth round draft pick who you had no intentions of playing at the start of the season and who's only played five offensive series? And what has he done in those five offensive series? Like the, his, let's go over it. First one against Green Bay. Strip sack, Packers recover and deepen our territory. Not Hall's fault because Darisol whiffed on a pass block badly on that one, but that's what happened. Second drive against the Packers, he made a nice pass to Hawkinson, got us a key offensive uh, first down, killed the clock. The, the next three plays were three and out. Third drive, victory formation. Doesn't have to do anything. Fourth offensive drive against Atlanta, three and out. Fifth offensive drive, he led us to a field goal, nice drive, then gets out with a concussion, hasn't been seen since. So I don't know what you can really glean from that, Dave, in five offensive drives, not very much. And I would just be, you know, I just don't see Kevin O'Connell and the offensive staff going with Hall 
again, with the Vikings in the position that they're at. So that leaves, I think the play really is, if you're looking at somebody who can maximize Justin Jefferson's <laughs> ability and, and, and when he gets back, I think that Nick Mullins is probably going to be the play here. He, he, you know, he's much more of a traditional drop back passer like Kirk Cousins. Uh, yes, you lose the dual threat mobility issue, you know, uh, stuff that you had with Dobbs and you have to a certain degree with Jaron Hall. And that is not um, insignificant, as we've seen with some of the plays Hall has made with his feet in the four games. But, you know, maybe he's a little bit better decision maker than Dobbs or Hall. Yeah, not going to turn the ball over as much. Might be able to get the ball to Justin Jefferson more often than Hall or Dobbs would. And again, like he was your backup during the season. If he doesn't have a back injury, he is starting the game against Atlanta, not Jaron Hall. So what has changed in that time? If you're going to replace Dobbs, unless O'Connell and Phillips have seen some humongous growth from Jaron Hall in the past four weeks, and keep in mind, he didn't really practice very much the previous couple of weeks because he was in concussion protocol. So uh, then, you know, again, what has changed? If Mullins is your backup and you're moving on from Dobbs, then it feels like Mullins is going to be the guy that's going to take over and play against the, um, you, know, uh, you know, against, and I'm drawing a blank here, <laughs> but he's going to play the next game. Uh, on, and Dave, I think you're on mute uh, there, but, he, you know, he's going to be the guy that they're going to bring in. Uh, I think that that is something that. Um, is not going to excite Vikings fans, uh, the, and they're not going to be very happy with it. But I think that is, if, if, if Kevin O'Connell is going to change the quarterback, I think that Nick Mullins is the guy you're going to see going in there, not Jaron Hall. And, uh, and you know, uh, <laughs> if they do, they do go with Jaron Hall, and, uh, and he goes 11 for 32, throws 150 yards, a couple of picks, and we lose badly, uh, everybody's going to be like, how come you didn't? Put in Mullins, terrible job, KOC's horseshit, all that sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, I think I think Mullins is the guy. He's thrown for five over five thousand yards in his career. He's got sixteen, seventeen starts in the NFL. Um, he, you know, he's hasn't played much since twenty twenty, but he's got much more experience and a bigger track record than Jaron Hall has. And yes, Mullins does turn the ball over quite a bit. You know his. His uh, touchdown to interception ratio was not very good, uh, but uh, he did a lot of that on a 49ers team that wasn't uh, very good back in 2018, uh, I believe, too. So uh, something to keep keep in mind. But yeah, it, uh, turnover, turnovers have been a worry no matter who has been quarterback this year for the Vikings, though, whether it's Cousins, Hall, Josh Dobbs, and Mullins if he plays. You You heard Darren through his spiel on all three of those quarterbacks. Now I wish to weigh in. Yes, and I want to hear hear this and All everybody right. else. Well, I know where Justin stands. <laughs> I asked. I asked the questions. I, I earlier in the week I sent Darren a bunch of questions. All right. The, obviously, the big topic of this week was who is going to be starting quarterback. We don't know. I haven't a clue. O'Connell, like Darren said had mentioned that he was going to pull him. He didn't make that at all. Didn't know what in the world was going to happen. Could be Jonathan Dobbs was going to hack the channel. <laughs> um, and that very well 
may be it. And he hasn't even heard my response yet. I may select him to play. We'll find out. But I asked, what are the advantages and disadvantages of playing each one of them? Mm-hmm. When it comes to Joshua Dobbs, Joshua Dobbs obviously has a lower floor when it comes to turnovers. He leads the league in turnovers. That's not a good thing. But we know that his highs, when it's hitting, when everything's working and he's hitting the players, his highs are spectacular. He's the only quarterback that scored over 30 points this year. He's, his ability to move with his legs is fantastic. To scramble out of trouble and go. But after last week, we also heard Kevin O'Connell talk about rhythm, that you need rhythm in this offense. It's one of the two words. I'm forgetting the other one. But rhythm was a big deal, that the offense is built on rhythm, and he doesn't have it. There's no reason for him. He hasn't been here forever to build up rhythm, rhythm and timing to where you know this is a five-step drop, and it takes, you know, you're thinking in your head like you're dancing. It's a one, two, three, four, five. Let it go, let the ball go. And knowing that the timing that your wide receiver is going to be at spot A to catch the ball. He doesn't have that. That's why we see balls behind, right? Whether it be to KJ Osborne or to Jordan Addison or wherever it is, the balls are off by a bit. That could be either accuracy or it's lack of rhythm and having that internal clock that the ability to adjust the eyeball to know that my guy's running. I know he runs this fast because we've gone through a bazillion reps together. I need to lead it this far to put it in his hands so he's running in stride. Those are some of the faults Josh Dobbs has. But on the plus sides, when he's on, and he's hot, yeah. and he's running, and he's passing and hitting receivers. My God, is it fun to watch. And we watched it in that first two games. So, cohesion, that's that's part of it, Davey. That's all part of that. Yes. Well, that's Josh Dobbs. Do you then with him take it and go, well, hey, the game wasn't as bad as we thought, Right. Yes, he had four interceptions. Two of them were obviously not his fault. And I'm saying the game wasn't as bad because of him as we thought. The game was horrible. Uh, Still pisses me off. I still have that bad taste, you know, in your mouth that you want to get – that only gets cleaned out with another win. So – and then – Johnson, but Dobbs, at least we could remember how it feels to have a more mobile quarterback. Yes. But it looked like last week Kevin O'Connell was trying to force him into the Kevin uh into the Kirk Cousins light mode and have him drop back and sit in the pocket. Was O'Connell not adjusting his game plan and trying to fit square peg round circle type shit, round hole? and trying to make him a drop-back passer like Kirk Cousins is, and that's just not Josh's game? I I don't know, but there's highs and there's lows. And if, if this gets figured out, the highs are great. 
so we can go. And if you're looking at highs and low of play, he's probably got the biggest variation of the three quarterbacks we're talking about. Bring in the second quarterback to talk about. That is Mr. Jaron Hall, our fifth-round rookie. Jaron Hall, we don't expect much. I mean, we drafted him in the fifth round. We hope he develops. We expected him not to play at all this year and just to develop into a backup quarterback. That was the most you can hope for, generally, from a fifth rounder. Well, he came in that one game, and first drive was blah. Second drive was good. Nice long one down the field, getting ready to score. Boom, concussed. We don't know. The highs and the lows of Jaron Hall, we literally don't know because we haven't seen enough. Other than which doesn't tell you a whole lot. Yeah, other than preseason when he's playing with the threes and the two. uh, Yeah. We don't know a whole lot, and we'd like to see him more. I'm on the side of the fan base that, hey, I want to see more Jaron Hall. And I do. I, I think his arm's adequate. He runs sufficiently. Very good. He's not maybe not be Josh Dobbs, but he's a good runner. I would like to see him play to see how high his highs are, to see how low his lows are. That would be, to me, I very much want to see that. But the question is, does Kevin O'Connell want to see that? (laughs) And he may be, I see him in practice every day. Well, if you see him in practice every day, why were we getting the propaganda that comes out of, out of Egan? And, folks, most of it is propaganda. That, oh, my God, he's so good with the practice team. He's causing fits to our defense, blah, 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 blah. Oh, we're so impressed with him. And yet when it's time to possibly start him, it's like, um, nope. <laughs> so... You know, when they started, they started him when he did, when they did, because we didn't have anybody. We picked up Josh Dobbs just because we had to have a second body. So I want to see what he can do. Justin obviously wants to see what he can do. A lot of fans want to see what Darren Hall can do. But then you've got to take into effect we're at six and six. We are presently the sixth seed in the NFC. And we'll get into the playoffs in theme three. What is the best way to get to the playoffs? We all know the Wolves want a playoff team. They want us in the playoffs. And they figure if we can get in, anything can happen. And for the most part, that is a correct statement. Anything can happen if you get in. So then they're looking at it. So what will it take to get us in? What gives us the most opportunity to do that? The rhythm and timing thing. What quarterback of the three has the most time in this system, the Kevin O'Connell system, the most throws to all the receivers, including Justin Jefferson? There's only one. That's Nick Mullins. Jaron Hall has some. But Nick Mullins has two seasons worth, or you'd call one. And now that he's back, this would be his second season. So now Nick Mullins, when we talk highs and lows, his floor is a little higher than Josh Dobbs is. He doesn't get quite as bad. No, 
Granted, he's thrown like 17 interceptions and 23 touchdowns or whatever. It's not spectacular, but it's not quite as bad. And can he run? Can he get aggressive on his passes? Yes, he can do that. But he's had time starting and started, I think, more games than Joshua Dobbs has. He's literally the perfect guy you want holding the clipboard and being a number two guy. His highs, however, even though he's won a bunch of games, especially with San Francisco, or won some games with San Francisco, I got corrected on a previous show, that are not quite as high. You don't have that uber high side that can take you somewhere. He's a solid band in the middle type deal. So O'Connell and crew has a decision to make. Who should we start? As Darren said, Nick Mullins was your number two guy from the get-go. And normally your number two guy comes in when the number one guy, Kirk Cousins, Pops his Achilles and done for the season. Well, we didn't have that because Mullins was out since October with a back issue. So it's a, you could flip a coin as to who starts. There's arguments for all three to start. There's arguments for all three that, you know, that guy over there shouldn't start. And I'm curious how it goes. If I had my personal preferences, I'd put in Hall. I don't have my personal preferences. I don't own the team. I can't control that. Now, what's the smart conservative move? That guy over there, Nick Mullins. You trust him that he knows the system. He's been in it two years. He can make the throws. You trust him to carry on and hope it works. We'll find out. But we don't know what Kevin O'Connell can do. He may have calmed down this week. His wife may have told him he was, you know, too off the rocker, stick with Dobbs, adjust your game plan to accommodate Dobbs. Dobbs is not Kirk Cousins. And he does that. Who knows? Or somebody may say, hey, you know, you know the Wilfs follow what the fans are saying, and the fans are all young for Jaron Hall. They want to see the young kid. All three could happen. We don't know. But logically, like Darren says, Nick Mullins is your starter against the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, Mr. Pink, welcome to the show. (laughs) So, that's the end of theme one. Now we can go on to theme two, since everything seems to be working. As normal. Thank you for letting me get all that off my chest since I was muted. It was building up pressure. (laughs) That brings us to theme two, where we're talking about, is he good? And that he is the man with those decisions on the quarterback, Kevin O'Connell. And lots of other things, Dave. Yeah, the... uh wanted to get into this because, um, you know, Kevin O'Connell has been our head coach for almost two seasons now. And so uh, when that happens, um, you start to accumulate baggage as a head coach happens to all of them. And some of that baggage is not positive. And particularly 
with the results and the performance by the Vikings against the Chicago Bears. Uh, you know, there's been lots of questions about Kevin O'Connell's play calling, but that's been happening all year, I think, and and, and other things. But uh, you know, so you know, I think he's he's accumulating some baggage. Not all of it is good. And so the question kind of becomes, you know, when we looked at the first season for Kevin O'Connell, it was pretty much a honeymoon in a lot of ways, particularly, you know, the Vikings go 13 and four, they waltz through the division, uh, you know, they, they get into the playoffs for the first time since, since 2019. And, um, you know, he took a team that won all those close games and people thought, Hey, is we got something special here? Uh, this, 2023 has not been that way. Uh, you've got, um, you know, and, and the questions have arose about his play calling, how aggressive and particularly how aggressive he is in the red zone late in the games when it matters the most. So the question is, is Kevin O'Connell a good coach or is he a bad coach who's just, got, just gotten lucky in his first, particularly in his first year. And that luck is starting to run out now. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's right. He did not throw those four picks. Uh, I think that Kevin O'Connell is a good coach. Um, there's a few reasons why I think that. Uh, people are going to disagree on there, and that is great uh, and fine. Uh, you know, one thing, and this is maybe kind of, this is, I think, a soft coaching skill that we're talking about is I think he, that he's established a pretty strong team culture with the Vikings since he's he's got there. Uh, you know, he's. I feel that. Um, like, like players, like uh, going back to maybe Mike Zimmer for a little bit, it didn't feel to me like when the last couple of years with Zim, like players were having much fun that they enjoyed going to work. Um, and I don't want to bag on Mike Zimmer that much because uh, I, think I think Mike he enjoyed going to work. No, that may have been part of the part of the problem too. Um, but you know, I, I don't want to bag on him too much because I think that he. You know, he did a lot of very good things for the Vikings. He was the right coach at the right time for us when he took over in 2014. And and so, you, you know, he... But the last couple of years, things definitely went south. And again, players didn't... I think players played scared. They, they didn't enjoy going to work. And Kevin O'Connell has changed all of that. Uh, I think, you know, he's, he's made a, a Minnesota a place that players want to be, that they want to stay there. People like Patrick Peterson never wanted to leave, but you know, that, you know, the, the team really decided to move on, I think from Peterson, not vice versa. Uh, and you hear about the, the, about players really who coming in, they always say that, but I think that, you know, they talk about talking to players who've been here before and how they really laud what the Vikings are doing under Kevin O'Connell. And I think that when players, and I think Kevin O'Connell has shown that he's just not, you know, he, he wants good football players, but that is not all of it to him. He cares about them being good on the, on the field, but he also cares about them personally and off the field. And I think that that is important for your team culture. And I think that that makes players want to play, play hard and want to play hard for you. And that is an important thing in the NFL. Uh, so I think that he's done a really good job there. I think, too, he's developed in two years, I think, a very disciplined team. We have been one of the least penalized teams in the NFL two years running, and that is not an accident. That when it happens one year, maybe it's a fluke, but two years and on, you're doing something coaching-wise, you're emphasizing that, and that is showing through. And I like teams that that don't commit a lot of penalties and don't hurt themselves in that area. So I think that is a good thing. And I think they've been disciplined off the field, too, Dave. You know, you don't hear mm-hmm. of these off field crap other than Addison with the speeding, but there hasn't been a lot of that. I think they're bringing in good quality people, people who right. aren't going to be 
uh, you don't have a like, future Hall of Fame edge rusher beating up some yes, woman. Yes, yes, right. Uh, so I think that's another thing he's done well. I think he's done, you know, however things go here, I think he's done a tremendous job in 2023 in holding this team together uh, with all the challenges that the Vikings have have faced, starting off one and four with the turnovers. Maybe that's partly the coaching staff fault, but I don't know about that either. But, you know, and just, you know, you, you lose Jefferson, you lose Kirk Cousins for the year, you lose other key players like Jordan Hicks and Marcus Davenport for a significant amount of time. And you're still, again, in the play, you, you win five straight games. You're, again, you've got a playoff spot right now. I don't think that a lot of coaches with a similar situation would have been able to do that. And Kevin O'Connell has. Uh, one other thing is that, at least in one area, he has not been afraid to make a, you know, a big change with a big problem area. And that's what, what I mean by that. It was with Ed Donatel as our defensive coordinator. Had a terrible year, probably cost us a chance to cost us the wildcard playoff game for sure, the way the defense had played. And Kevin O'Connell saw that. <laughs> it cost right. the Giants tens of millions of dollars yes, in the process. Really, yes. Yeah. And maybe Brian Dable's job. (laughs) (laughs) But but Kevin O'Connell saw that. He didn't waffle. I think he clearly liked and respected Ed Donald. He looked at the defense and said they were terrible. The the defensive strategy that Ed is is employed that first year is not working. It doesn't work with our defense. We got to make a change. And then he, he did make the change. He was decisive about that right off the bat after the season ended. And the person he selected to change to to replace Ed Donatel, the polar opposite of Ed Donatel as far as schematics goes, has been like a hundred percent home run. Um, so that I think is you got to give Kevin Connell credit for that for recognizing there's a problem with his team and making that change decisively and picking the right guy to improve things. Um, and what I like is he had input into this selection. Mm-hmm. Because with uh, Donatel one, Donatel was I think hired before KOC was by the selection group. No, oh, maybe. But KOC had more input into it. But yes, and we'll get into probably Brian Flores because Brian Brian Flores has been brilliant, and everybody's worried that he's going to go next year and he's going to become a head coach somewhere and all that yada yada. We'll get yeah. into it more hopefully next week because uh, I had sent Darren a nice little article on how he's changing the game on defense, and that's a wonderful thing. It is, especially when it's the Vikings doing the changing. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the good things that I think a lot of positives that I've seen from Kevin O'Connell. Um, but I think some of the things, the bad stuff that we've seen so far um, – I think let's mention the play calling first. I think it's hard for me as a fan. I think it's hard for us as a, as a lot of fans to, you know, his play calling has been criticized a lot this year in particular. And I think that, uh, I know that Tyler Fornes, our Tyler Fornes does not agree that Kevin O'Connell is a poor play caller. He actually thinks Kevin O'Connell is a very, very elite offensive mind and calls very good offensive plays. Uh, but I think, you know, most fans have a real hard time judging that sort of stuff. Like, was it a bad play call or did the players just do a shitty job executing? And then sometimes the defense just plays, executes better than you do. There are no answers for 
what they've dialed up for you. They just call a better play than you do. They execute better. That happens on a lot of plays, offensive plays, no matter how good of a play caller you are. And, um, and so, and, and also fans, anytime an offense doesn't do well, it's always like the play calling has to be better and oh, terrible play calling, which is like a very lazy, easy analysis to make. Of course, the play calling must have been the problem, right? But there could be lots of things that are thrown into it, blocks that aren't made, routes that aren't run properly, um, you know, a little subtle thing. So I think that's a tough thing for us fans to, to really uh, decipher, even if you're watching the tape, because you don't know what teams are emphasizing what they're calling that sort of thing, even if you can see the end result. But I do think that, you know, there is a couple of things that have been become kind of trends for KOC. And the one is just the the one score games, Dave, and the no killer instinct, the inability to put teams away in the 20, in the 30 games that the Vikings have played under KOC, 23 of them have been one score games and 11 of the 12 this year have been one score games. And that. I don't know how you get that out, <laughs> you know, get, you know, weed that out, but that has become a, that has become a, like a, a tenant of the Kevin O'Connell Vikings so far in his two years. Uh, and that need, they need to do something about that. And Kevin O'Connell needs to find a way to eliminate that and have us not have every game come down to the last play or the last drive every time. And, and I think the other thing that has really been prickly under the microscope the last three games, but beyond that, is just Kevin O'Connell's late game strategies, particularly you know uh, when we need it, late in the fourth quarter. And you know, I think you're seeing a lot of timid, very conservative, it's almost scared play calling in the red zone. Uh, Ted Glover, our friend uh, and the host of, of Vikings Report with Ted and Drew, he found on the internet uh, this week, he flashed it on a, on a couple of things, of look, going over the Vikings' offensive drives late in the games against New Orleans, the Broncos, and then against the Bears. And in each of those situations, the Vikings under Kevin O'Connell have had the ball very late in the fourth quarter on offense, and they've had a chance to either make the, put the game away and not allow the other team to get the ball back, by getting first downs and just keeping on moving it or scoring and making the, uh, the game a two score game, basically putting it out of reach with the other team all likely only getting one drive. And they have not been able to do that in any of those games. Two of them have resulted in the Vikings losing and the, the bears game again, and you're seeing a lot of conservative play, not to win wussing out play calling, which is driving fans nuts and probably has cost the Vikings two of those Instead of going three and zero, we've gone one and two, and a more aggressive mindset might have changed the result of at least one of those two losses. You look at the Bears game; you get the ball back with three twenty-seven, huge fumble recovery by Anthony Barr. You got the ball at the forty-three yard line, all you, you, but you're only up by one point. <laughs> so it seems clear to me that you've got a score there too. You know, if you even if you, you want just to pad it, yes. Even if you get just get a field goal, you force the Bears with very little time to score, to drive all the way down the field and get a touchdown to beat you. Well, what do we do? We call two runs to Madison, one up the middle, another to, I can't remember if it was the left or right, and then a shitty screen pass to Brandon Powell that has no chance. We, 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 oh, Total-wise, total we, didn't, we didn't gain a yard in the drive as a result. 
We don't even get position to kick a field goal. Greg Joseph probably would have missed it anyway, but we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> There's Vikings to- fandom bubbling to the surface again. Yes, it is. We don't even get a chance to they kick the field goal and, and pad that lead, and we give it back to the Bears, and, well, you know what happened next. So, the, to me, I, I know that Josh Dobbs had thrown four interceptions. I know that Kevin O'Connell was probably scared as shit to put the ball in his hands at that point in case he got another turnover. But the result would have been the same either way. Like, I'd rather die forcing the issue, trying to score and win, than playing wuss ball and leaving it up to my defense who's played awesome in that game, but eventually they're going to crack. Like all the, all the bears needed was to get into field goal range. And they did that, you know, with no problem at all. And you saw what happened and the results ended up happening. And, and again, I think KLC has got to learn how to, to take the bull by the horns in those situations and play a little bit more aggressive and have more confidence in his team, even when maybe he shouldn't. And, and, and I think that that's going to result in a much more confident and successful team. Um, but I still think, despite that, I think we've got a good coach. Uh, and he's going to succeed here, and he has succeeded here. I think that the thing with all coaches is that you he showed a lot of good things and some worry, worrisome tendencies. The key for him is going to be finding a way to overcome and fix the worrisome tendencies so that it doesn't kill the Vikings long-term and cost him his job. Uh, but I think that Kevin O'Connell is going to figure that out and, I don't know. I, I don't know how you feel about that day, but I think I know. Well, I, I I hope he does too. I think he can. I think he's a bright, young, offensive mind that could be a very good coach. He does, however, need that aggressive gene, a little bit more testosterone or something turned up, a few notches, and then learn to be able to. Put a team down. If you got, if you're beating somebody, go ahead and go for the dagger. Go mm-hmm. ahead and go for the blowout. Learn to win big, and it not be a well. That's unsportsmanlike. We don't <laughs> want to make them look bad. No. Learn that. Hey, my guys are running my offense the best they possibly can, and we're tweaking it every single play so they can run it better and better and better, and you just happen to lose 70 to 20, right? I want those games. and that, But that mentality is something that has to be learned. It has to be learned by him, and it has to be learned by the team that they can do that and that it's almost expected. Hey, I wouldn't mind, you know, the O line room or the running back room or the QB room or wide receivers and the defense and everybody else putting up your wagers. Tomahawk stake for this. For you know, you blow them out by three touchdowns, the defense buys the offense a tomahawk stake. Mm-hmm. All right. Do some motivational things like that. Or hey, you blow them out by three touchdowns. The coaching staff buys the whole team tomahawk steaks, whether it be at Manny's or over at the hotel in that restaurant, whatever it is, right? And motivate them to do such things. Can he become that sort of coach? I think so. I think he's going through some growing pains because, like we said, he's only a year and a half into it, basically. 
and he's got to learn. He never had the play calling experience nor the head coaching experience prior to this. And a lot of people slam him for that. They slam the, the Vikings front office for selecting somebody that doesn't have that experience. But how can he overcome that? And I think through certain types of motivation and training, you train yourself out that it's it's okay to win by 30 points. It's okay to put somebody down late in the third quarter and make you know take their will away to play football. That's what I would like to see. Yes, can't have a show without some steak talk. Can you tell I'm sort of hungry, Justin? And I do love me my steaks. Yes, I do. But I think most people do. It's uh but I have plans. I'm not having a steak tonight. I've got it in the fridge. It will be tomorrow night. After this show, I'm going more Christmas shopping like a bunch of you on bye week. <laughs> so we'll find out. Uh, Michael thinks next year a mobile quarterback will be starting. The Wolves want him, will want to make the fans happy, too. The Wolves very much care about the fans because it's the fans that are buying the tickets and the merchandise and everything else. And, and it's fun having a mobile quarterback. It is. It's exciting. As long as the things that the fans have the most fun with is getting dubs. And getting so, dubs and hopefully eventually that wonderful, stupid trophy named after that team from Wisconsin, their head coach. Anyways, that should be his goal. Yeah. Be so good that they change the trophy name to you. How's that? All right. That brings us to theme three. It's the bye week, and we're talking quick hitters. We are. I uh, want to thank people for the, all the comments they're making and coming back to, uh, to uh, visit us after we had uh, some technical issues. Sorry, I'm not acknowledging the comments. I, I feel like I'm playing catch up, so I was just trying to get through the content myself. Dave's pretty good about pointing and you know, like uh, acknowledging. I'm, I'm not so much, so but I do see the comments and I appreciate them. But yeah, quick hitters uh, this week. Uh, so with with this weekend of Vikingless football, Dave, uh, we ain't taking a break. I thought it was time. You had a few questions during the week that you wanted to get off your chest. And I had a few too that I wanted to address. And so uh, we're going to get at it. Our bi-week quick hitters. First one, it was your question, Dave. Pretty good one. Has Jordan Addison hit the rookie wall? It's a good question. It's that time in the season. He's played a full college season's worth, and his production has dropped here in the last couple of games. It has. Yeah, normally he'd be like, okay, I'm getting ready for the bowl game, or mm-hmm. not. <laughs> if he, like, or I'm going to sit out the bowl game because I don't want to get hurt, and I'm, I'm getting drafted in the first or second mm-hmm. round. Uh, but yeah, has Jordan Addison hit the rookie wall? I don't think so, Dave. I think he's hit the quarterback wall. What's happened there? Is that, <laughs> it, because it, with, uh, with the last two games with... Kirk Cousins as quarterback, he had his two best games of the year against the 49ers and that team from Wisconsin. And in the 49ers game, he was targeted the most, a season high 10 times. And against that team from Wisconsin, he was targeted eight times, which tied a season high previous. Um, When Kirk Cousins goes down with Achilles and he's done for the year, you know, the Vikings are putting in 
they're you know the first they start with the third string guy and and then they turn to the third string guy gets hurt and they got to turn to the fourth uh, the guy that they didn't even wasn't even on their team mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know those guys no matter who it is mullins dobbs uh jaron hall they're not as good a quarterback as kirk cousins the op- vikings offense is passing wise is not going to operate at the same level as it did under Kirk Cousins. There's not going to be as many, probably as many throws. There's not going to be as many good throws to the wide receivers. There, So I felt the production of the wide receivers was going to go down no matter who played. And it, and Addison's production was going to go down, and it has. Uh, I don't think that's all of his fault. Yeah, uh, he's dropped some passes, not just last uh, Monday night against the Bears. He's done that almost in every game he's played um, lately. And he even said this week that he doesn't feel he's playing well right now. Uh, and so he's taken that on himself. Uh, so, so, But still, and he's faced some pretty tough corners the last three games in particular. Paulson Adebo, Jalen Johnson, Patrick Sertain are all very good cornerbacks, and they've been on him pretty heavy. Uh, and uh, and his production has gone down because of that, which I think is understandable. But, but I don't think he's hit a rookie wall so much as that the quarterback, he can't throw the ball to himself. And even if Justin Jefferson was in there with the quarterbacks we have, I don't think you'd be seeing the same kind of production from Justin Jefferson that you're used to seeing when he's got Kirk Cousins throwing on the ball. And so the same has to is true with Jordan Addison. Um, but still, I think that, you know, despite all of this, I feel that this has been, this is a pretty, an, an important and I think a very good development uh, situation that Jordan Addison has found himself in with since J- particularly Justin Jefferson has been a doubt. He gets elevated as basically your number one wide receiver. He's getting a lot of attention from cornerbacks and, and drawing, he's drawing the top cornerback a lot of time and they're covering him. This is all great professional development stuff for Jordan Addison. I think that, you know, even despite the struggles that he's faced and he's still having a hell of a year for a rookie wide receiver, uh, this is going to make him stronger mentally. It's going to help him be better in his route running and learn how to defeat some of the things that he's facing from the top corners. Uh, and I think that he's just going to be a stronger mentally, stronger physically, a better pro in 2024 because of what he's faced in this the past year. seven years, this year, particularly when Justin Jefferson has not been there to take attention off of him. That I agree. And that in the carousel of quarterbacks, the rhythm and timing thing, because Kirk Cousins is all about rhythm and timing. Everything was one, two, three. That I've said it numerous times. You could place the footprints on the dance floor. That's Kirk Cousins. When all that changed, first Hall, then Dobbs, and it's just a little bit off, he's going to learn from that and become a better wide receiver and how to adjust to things like that to make it happen. So I agree. That's I, I just it seems it's that time. Why well, ask the question? It's that time of the season that rookies hit their rookie wall for a lot of them. And with his decline in play over the last two games, I thought it was a good question to ask. Not that I believe he has, just that it was a good question to ask. And it is a good question to ask. And we try to answer it. Yeah, we try. The best we can, we try. Well, that brings us to the next quick hitter. You wanted to talk about, I think, the my question about should we win or lose these last five games? 
That was what your would, question. And what would be most adv- advantageous for the team is why I asked that. Now, most likely they will neither win nor lose all those five games. But I'm curious to your opinion which way you'd want to go on that. Uh, well, well, I think uh, I had a question for you, Dave, which is in in – in thinking that, are you like looking at it? Well, if we go zero and five, that helps us with our draft position, and that's good for the Vikings. Is that kind of how you're looking at it? Uh, and uh, and if you go five and zero and you make the playoffs, um, you're <laughs> you know that, that that sets up another scenario which may not uh, you're the number be three it. seed, and you're going yes. on. Um, yeah. No, I was just asking the question of it was a series of what ifs. Yeah, um, I. For me, a long time ago, if you ask what ifs and and can answer those when the time comes up, you can better prepare for that. Now, there are reasons for if you lose all five, if we go six and 11, we will probably be right around what number 10 in the draft order, somewhere in there, somewhere Mm -hmm. close. And then, of course, quarterback of the future. Is within reach. Whether you wanted to go up a couple, a few spots to grab whoever you think the sure thing is, and I think of the old eighties music uh, movie with uh, the radio and the sure thing, and he's as he's trying to get out to California to have that sure thing, um, or you know you're there to get the two, three, four whatever quarterback you want at that position. So that's the loss. Now, the win is simple. If we go 11-6 and six on the season, we will have won the NFC North. I'll caveat that. Assuming Detroit loses to Dallas. Yeah. We'll win the NFC North, and we will most likely be the third seed in the playoffs, fourth at minimum at that point. And we're, we'll be looking good because we will host that first round, whoever we're playing, because we won't be hosting San Francisco or whoever wins the East. And so we're good there. That's why I asked the question. Now, most likely we'll split it. I know there's five games. Dave, you can't go two and five, two and five in these last games. You technically could if one was a tie, but anyways, that's why I asked the question, what is best for the long term of the team? If you suck and we draft top 10 and get that quarterback of the future, that's obviously good for the Vikings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, for me, it's, uh, I like, I'd rather, I understand what you're saying. I understand what people are thinking about the, you know, mini tank or whatever go. But for me, it's winning all five or four out of the five or even three out of the two and making the playoffs. For me as a fan, if the Vi- if I feel the Vikings have a good enough team, have the talent to win more than they lose and make the playoffs, then that's what I want them to do. And uh, because you get in the playoffs, you've always got a shot. Uh, it, it, I, I understand what people are thinking and that if you get a wild card position, then you're probably playing Dallas or San Francisco or somebody like that in the first round, and you're possibly a one-and-done team. But again, anything can happen in the playoffs. We already beat San Francisco this year at home, mm-hmm. mind you, and without Debo Samuel, but we beat them, and we beat them, and we outplayed them 
by a fair large margin um, with Kirk Cousins as quarterback. But, you know, I'm getting too much into those details. But for me, it's winning and making the playoffs. And that's always my, you know, Vikings winning makes me happy, David. Uh, It makes most Viking fans happy. And I feel that, you know, think back to 87, if people on here remember that. But, like, Vikings went in limping at 8-7, and lost three of their last four games or something, almost blew the chance to make the playoffs. Nobody gave them a hope in hell of, of winning, even beating New Orleans in the wild card game, and, or even threatening to make the Super Bowl. They did that. And so you make the playoffs, you always got a shot. And I feel this year was particularly with our defense the way it is. We actually do have a shot if we get in there uh, compared to some of the other years. So that is. Go get them. Pointed that out. What Flores can help us in the playoffs. But, and, you know, but going 0 5, 1 4, like I said, we already got six wins. You've already went over what that likely gets you as far as a draft position. You're not. So if you lose a whole bunch of games coming down here, don't make the playoffs. You're not in a position to get Caleb Evans or Drake May anyway, unless you want to give up a boatload of picks to draft them. And what I've seen from Williams, I haven't seen May play, but I'm not really convinced that either of them are that generational campus guy that you want to be doing that this year for. Um, so I'm, I don't like that, that scenario at all. And the other thing is that I feel that uh, as long as you got, if you've got very good scouts, if you've got a very good GM, if you're very good at talent evaluation, a lot of people have questions about Quasi Dofamensa in that area right now, but if you've got those things, you can you can get good players and not be picking in the top ten or top five anyway. Look at the Ravens, look at the Chiefs, look at the 49ers. They're not picking high consistently at all most of the past five, ten years, and they still find good players. They still find Brock Purdy's, they still find Lamar Jackson's, they still find you know other other guys too that like Isaiah Pacheco in the seventh round that end up being really good players for them and keep them rolling even when they're not picking in the top 10, uh, top five. So I think that's why I want to see the Vikings win. I think that, you know, no matter where you draft, you can find good players and you just need to identify them and get them. Uh, And sure, it should in theory help you if you're picking some years top five or you got the number one pick, but how did that work out for the Detroit Lions all those years? It's only recently the, the past two, Bears, three, for that matter. Yeah, only recently in the past two or three years that they've kind of turned that around and actually picked good players in those positions. But before that, they didn't have good scouts. They didn't have good evaluation, and they made horrible picks, even though they were picking in the top ten, top five of the draft every, at every, in every round every year. Mm-hmm. Well, so, you got a point there. Now, but the just the pure numbers of everything. The higher you're picking, the higher the quality of the player. Generally, over the history, it's that ski slope thing. You've got a better chance of doing that. It doesn't mean you can't hit on somebody further down the road, like a fifth-round quarterback from BYU, when there's been zero fifth-round quarterbacks to do anything in the history of the league, starter-wise. You never know. You can do it. Because at one point, there were zero six-rounders and seventh-rounders, and they they found stepped up and it's all about the player acquisition and do you get it correct quasi's talked about how sometimes the draft is a it's not a sure thing it's more of a crapshoot and you're not knowing exactly what you're getting they try to refine that process so they can get it closer to knowing what you're getting but you never know right 
it's you never know what's going to happen, whether the guy's maxed out in college at his level or if he still got, still has room for development and to explode and be better in the pros than he ever was in college. You hope you identify those, the latter guys that are, hey, he was real good in college, but he only had three sacks his entire time. Boom. Yeah. He's now working on getting 20 sacks this season. Yeah. You know who that is. <laughs> Wonder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's all I got. Forrest Gump would say that's all I got to say about that. Now, the graphic I have is the current seeding as it stands today, the current playoff race for the NFC. And we are in the sixth seed presently. Uh, we've already won the bye with Seattle losing on Thursday night. A couple other things we need to do to win the bye, though. What's that? That would have been my final thought, Dave. But what well, that is, is for Kansas City to beat that team from Wisconsin tomorrow and for the Browns to go on the road and beat the Rams, who are uh, resurgent, if that's the right word. But they have, haven't really played anybody any good lately either. Mm-hmm. Corey talks about uh, draft picks for a QB is a crapshoot. He'd rather have a vet. There's an argument for that, Corey. The advantage of a draft pick, however, is the low cost and that you can build up the team around them if you hit on that individual. That's the advantage. GOA 007, Quasi's second draft was only good because KOC picked Addison. I would give it a little bit more than that, but we'll find out. And Flores definitely picked the defensive players. That's all part of how it works. And you got a great avatar, by the way. <laughs> yeah. There's still a lot to be written on both the Quasi's draft classes. Um, 2022, uh, with a little bit more data, is not looking very good. Um, although it, uh, it's, uh, some guys are Ed Ingram's improvement is helping that out a little bit. And hopefully a Caleb Evans, either booth or scene can somehow work their way out of the, uh, up the depth chart and contribute for a change. But, but the, the this year's draft class, small one with six guys, but of course, Addison's been, you know, hit, I think Makai Blackman has played very well when he's played. Um, and then the rest of it going to take some time, but we didn't expect Jay Ward, Jake Lenroy, or Jaron Hall to to really be guys that would have a large role other than maybe special teams on this team this year anyway, and that's what we've seen. Mm-hmm. And if you want to take a late-round guy that's turned out good, proven in the past, Josh Metellus. Absolutely. Josh Metellus is a hinge pin player on our, on our defense. And he was what a six rounder, six rounder in twenty twenty, six rounder. You know, figured to be nothing more than a punt returner and special teams guy, and now he's literally becoming a star and critical port point of this defense. So they can I develop. I, I, he's our defensive MVP if, for me. Okay, now there was one more topic on these quick kickers you wanted to talk about with Doogie. And his scoops when it came to who's playing this weekend or next weekend against the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, well, he was uh, 
his scoop was that it's going to be Mullins. That was his take re on things, which we discussed earlier. They they also got into uh, the whole thing about how Kirk Cousins wasn't at the game Monday night against the Bears. A medical issue, apparently, which is why he wasn't there. But um, he hasn't been on a sideline presence at any of the games, really. Uh, When he got hurt, I I thought was kind of like, oh, well, I'm hoping, I was kind of hoping that once he was, his surgery was done and he was up to it, that he would be on the sidelines like Justin Jefferson has been encouraging the team and being maybe another set of eyes for whoever was quarterbacking. Well, he hasn't been like that. He, he hasn't been like the attention horror Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> it's impossible saying, hey, look at me. I'm here. I'm with the team. You know, I'm, I'm doing my thing. But um, I'm throwing some passes and warm ups. Right, yeah, uh, but I think that what uh, uh, Kirk Cousins has only had media availability once since he had the surgery. Uh, he, he hasn't really talked about that issue. I, I do think uh, that off the like he's going to quarterback meetings, he's helping with game plans, that sort of stuff. That's that's been mentioned, but he hasn't been uh, on the sidelines of presence. And I think I understand, and I think it's a good thing why Kirk has done that. I think his feeling on that is that. If he's on the sidelines, the cameras are going to be on him all the time. That it's going to be, he's going to be the focus instead of Dobbs or Jaron Hall or uh, Nick Mullins as the Vikings try to get the playoffs. And he'd be a bit of a distraction there. So I think that that is why he has chosen to not be on the field and be that kind of, uh, you know, make his presence known. And I think that's a good thing uh, because, again, it's really, uh, you, the Vikings are going to win by based on how Josh Dobbs plays on the field and how Nick Mullins plays on the field or whoever is quarterbacking. And, and that is the, uh, and, and so that is, um, I think that that's been a good thing and a good decision by Kirk in this case. And, and as long as he is, and I think he is like, he's doing stuff off the field away from the camera to help the Vikings and game planning and help the quarterbacks. But game day, I think it's a good thing that he is, not being like so out there out front and and showing that he's with the team and trying to help i think that would again be a distraction and might cause a bit of a confusion on the sideline as well because you got quarterback coaches who are doing all that stuff anyway for for whoever's starting and i don't think you need another guy going in there saying do this so this is what i see that sort of thing right i was about to wonder what if you put him up in the booth uh, but he's on the headset with everybody and it may be a distraction Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was uh, Justin talking about what do I think about resigning Cousins. Um, that, that's a question that we're going to be talking about as soon as the season is over. I think everybody's going to be talking about that. Uh, I yeah, I I don't love it, but what are your? I guess the, the question is, what are your other options if you don't sign him? Is that's the you know where are you going to go? What's your what's your plan A? What's your plan B? And I don't think that we've. I think part of that's going to be determined in the next five games by how the quarterbacks that we do have now, how they perform. Uh, that's going to that's going to guide what Quasi Adolfo Mensa and and Kevin O'Connell uh, their plan in 2024 offseason as to do you sign Cousins? Do you draft a quarterback early in the 2024 draft? Do you sign a bridge quarterback and bring some of the guys back that we already have? Those are your options, and I have no idea how the Vikings are going to go in and, that. And I'm sure us and Justin will talk about it almost ad nauseum 
as we go into next season. It'll be topic du jour, straight off yeah. the get-go. It's not like we can say, yeah, you know, we have Super Bowl winning multiple time Tom Brady coming back to start next year, and we have no worries at quarterback other than who are we going to add as an extra body to see if he can develop as a backup. Uh, we don't have that. We have a very big question at quarterback, and that will be something to hear. Now, when it comes to quarterbacks, and we discuss, we think Mullins will will be starting. How short of a leash? How quickly now will KOC hook somebody and yank them out of the game if he perceives they're playing poorly? That's always a tough one, Dave, right? For the, for the head coach in particular, because if you do that, well, what's going to happen after the game? Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, you're going to have to, you're going to have to ask, answer 50 questions based on who's the quarterback now? Why did you take out so-and-so? Why did you put in so-and-so? And if it doesn't work, then you're going to get hammered for that. Why didn't you stick with so-and-so? Because, you know, the other, the, who you replaced, he just, but didn't help. So it's a, you open up that Pandora's box, Dave, and a lot of times it doesn't end well for, for head coaches. Head it's coach. like the old John, the John Madden thing where if you got three back quarterbacks, you don't have any quarterback. Well, uh, <laughs> And uh, yeah, um, so I, you know, that's kind of, and that's why I think that's, and O'Connell obviously had that in mind, I think, when he decided not to put Mullins in, in the fourth quarter or the third quarter for Dobbs, uh, because, you know, there's a whole bunch of dominoes that fall once you do that and you cannot undo that once you've done it. And it can have a lot of ramifications for Dobbs's confidence and he's going to have to answer to it. And if it doesn't work out, you're going to have to answer for it. And you're going to have to answer for it either way. Um, you know, it's just, and as a coach, I think he's seen a lot of times where, and seen in the past, where if you're not patient with a player, you often, and you have a quick hook with them uh, when they don't play well, that can backfire for you, for the player and for you and for your team. Mm -hmm. With that, any last words before we go off and enjoy the rest of our bye week weekend? Just, uh, I think, last words is that this is a mini topic in itself. I don't want to drone on about it, but uh, since the Bears game, I've been seeing lots of stuff about, <laughs> like, oh, the Vikings suck, Dobbs sucks, O'Connell sucks, fire everybody, tear it all down, this is terrible, and I just think some perspective is in order here uh, in this game. I think uh, in, for this team, in that if you'd if you'd told after a one and four start, we lose all those games with the turnovers and the close games, uh, and then you lose Justin Jefferson, and then three games later you lose Kirk Cousins for the year, and over those seven games for the Vikings to go five and two. If you told Vikings fans in those seven games without Justin Jefferson and partly without Kirk Cousins, they're going to go five and two. They're going to be six and six at the bye. They're going to have the sixth seed in the NFC and be in a playoff spot. I think every Vikings fan would have taken that and said, I, I can't believe we'd be that in that position. But yeah, yeah, let's do it. And then we lose to the Bears and the Broncos. And now the sky is falling again. And I don't think... You know, it's not great, but I don't think the sky is falling. The playoffs are still <laughs> still in front of us. A lot of it's going to depend on how whoever is playing quarterback, how they play, and if they don't screw it up completely. 
But I think that, again, like Kevin O'Connell deserves a lot of credit for keeping the team together the way it has. And I think this Vikings team, I, I think the, the expectations were raised when we went on that five-game winning streak. I don't think we should have had any expectations. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> hey, like I said, that. we're playing with house money. Yeah. As soon as you we're lose your starting quarterback, it's done. Anything so, after that's house money. We are we're in the playoff hunt. Let's try to enjoy it. Um, I know it's hard to enjoy a 12-10 game that you lose when your quarterback throws four interceptions. Nobody enjoyed that, but we're in the hunt. <laughs> Sky been falling. We're in the hunt. Uh, I think this team has been punching above its weight in the last seven games and is playing above expectations. Again, when you don't have one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL anymore, uh, and you don't have the top wide receiver in the NFL during that seven game stretch. So that, you know, that is my final word on things. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm seeing posts from Vikings first and skull, which means that happens to be Tyler. Taking over the account. Hey, Tyler. Good to see you. We're at the very end, Tyler. You're going to have to watch it on Rewind. Both both <laughs> streams because it, uh, it screwed up, and I apologize for that. It was a glitch software. I have no idea what did it. Hopefully, it was stable the rest of the way. I want to thank everybody who joined us. Good uh, comment. Back there. Oh, uh, what's that, Freddie? I just <laughs> want the Packers to beat KC. Yep. Um, there's uh, Jonathan. Good one from Jonathan. I will not read over the air, but yes. And uh, so we'll see. But I want everybody, I want to thank everybody that joined us. See some new people on there. Z31, it's good day. Um, glad you could join us. We all love our Vikings. It's the bye week, so we don't have to stress out too much. And we can enjoy it and root for other stuff happening this week, like the Kansas City Chiefs putting a beat down on that team from Wisconsin. And as Tyler said, he's been writing scouting reports today. As you know, he's heavy into that. If you want to check that out, go over to vikingswire.com, part of USA Today's network, and you can find some of the best writing there is on the whole subject and the Minnesota Vikings. And that will be it. Next show will be Monday, the real Forno show with Tyler. Two of the hardest working show men in show business, right there, folks. Dave Stefano <laughs> and Tyler Fornis, always uh, on the Vikings beat. We try, we try, and hey, we love this team just as much as you do. So we want them to succeed, and that's a big deal. But like I said. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. That's my plans, and I'm sure it's Darren's as well. Go have fun. Go enjoy it. Eat good food. Enjoy good friends, family, great beverage. Do some Christmas shopping, and have a great day. And what do we say, brother? We say, Skull Vikings, baby. Skull Vikings. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell. And rate us on your favorite podcast aggregator. Darren and Dave, thank you for watching this episode of Two Old Bloggers. We look forward to seeing you on every show on the new Vikings First and Skull. You can find our podcasts as part of the Fans First Sports Network. Sports takes for the fan, from the fan. Skull, everybody! This has been a Vikings First and Skull production. Part of the Fans First Sports Network.